I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Most of us are familiar with the idea of fight or flight. That's called an adrenaline rush. What's the counterbalance? This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. Most of us don't know much about the parasympathetic nervous system that features rest and digest instead of fight or flight. What should we know about the vagus nerve that connects the brain, the heart, and the digestive tract? Is there a way to support our parasympathetic nervous system for controlling pain and reducing inflammation? Why are breathing exercises so helpful in calming us down when we're under stress? Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, harnessing the power of the vagus nerve for better health. In the People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, melatonin gummies have become a popular way for people to take this supplement. A small study published in JAMA shows that doses of this hormone taken as a sleep aid may vary widely from the labeled amount. Of 25 products tested, most had more than the listed dose, including one product that was 347% higher. A few of the products had less melatonin than stated, including one product that had no melatonin detected at all. Even a gummy with exactly 3 milligrams, as labeled, offers about a thousand times more of the hormone than our brains naturally produce. That's why some experts question whether it even makes sense for adults to take this supplement as a sleep aid. The authors of the study emphasize the hazards for children. Gummies are sweet-tasting and may easily be mistaken for candy. The number of calls to poison control centers from parents whose youngsters have eaten many gummies has increased over the last few years. The investigators conclude, given these findings, clinicians should advise parents that pediatric use of melatonin gummies may result in ingestion of unpredictable quantities of melatonin. An industry trade group, the Council for Responsible Nutrition, objects that the study raises unnecessary concern about these products. They point out that a small overage in dose in a single gummy is not at all equivalent to a child eating a large number in an unsupervised situation. The hottest drugs in weight control these days are Ozempic and Wegovy. Ozempic is technically not approved for weight loss, but this injectable diabetes drug contains the exact same ingredient as Wegovy, which is approved for weight management. Because of media attention, both drugs are currently in short supply. There's growing concern, though, that semaglutide, the ingredient in both medications, may have unanticipated side effects. Nausea and lack of appetite are well-known consequences of the drug and may partially explain how it helps people lose weight. But if people really stop eating, as some do, they can become malnourished. That's an unusual but worrisome side effect. Eating disorders could also become worse on semaglutide or a similar medicine, such as Monjaro. Starvation diets or extreme weight loss can also lead to hair loss. The human body often responds to stress with something called telogen effluvium. Hair stops growing and falls out. 
Dermatologists are familiar with this reaction, but physicians in other specialties may not think to warn patients about it. There are reports of hair loss associated with semaglutide. The official prescribing information for Wegovy lists a 3% incidence of hair loss on the drug. However, there's no mention of this in the prescribing information for Ozempic. Other more serious adverse reactions include vomiting, diarrhea, abdominal pain, gallbladder problems, fatigue, pancreatitis, and thyroid tumors. Urinary tract infections are common and painful. Finding a way to prevent them would reduce the number of antibiotic prescriptions and eliminate a lot of suffering. That's why the results of a recent meta-analysis showing the efficacy of cranberry products are welcome. The old wives were right once again. Cranberry juice has a reputation for fighting off UTIs, but for decades, doctors were skeptical. Investigators conducted studies, however, usually comparing cranberry products such as juice or extract to placebo. The latest analysis includes 50 randomized controlled trials with nearly 9,000 volunteers. Statistical analysis shows that cranberry reduced the risk of recurrent UTIs in women by about 25% and in children by roughly 50%. There may not be any benefit in other specific groups such as pregnant women and institutionalized elders. Separate research indicates that cranberries get their anti-infective power from polyphenol compounds called proanthocyanidins. These give cranberries their red color, But most importantly in this context, they keep bacteria from forming biofilms in the body. The current analysis was not able to determine the optimum dose of proanthocyanidins. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. Today, we're going to take a deep dive into the world of neuropharmacology, one of my favorite topics. Most people are familiar with the sympathetic nervous system and adrenaline. When you almost step on a copperhead snake while walking in the woods, your heart rate speeds up because of this neurotransmitter. The parasympathetic nervous system, on the other hand, is more calming. It includes the vagus nerve that connects our major organs and contributes to our emotional state and immune responses. This crucial nerve affects heart rate, respiration, blood pressure, digestion, and urination. We don't think it's received as much attention and respect as it deserves. To learn more about the vagus nerve, we turn to Dr. Peter Statz. He's recognized for his work on inventing, developing, and implementing minimally invasive procedures for pain and neuromodulation. He's currently Chief Medical Officer of National Spine and Pain Centers. Dr. Statz is one of the founders of Electricor, which was instrumental in getting vagal nerve stimulation approved for emergency use for acute COVID-19. Dr. Statz was founder of the Division of Pain Medicine at Johns Hopkins University, where he was the director for 10 years. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Peter Statz. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Thank you so much for the invitation. And thank you for joining us, Dr. Statz. I have to tell you, I have been fascinated 
with the vagus nerve since my graduate school days, and that's over 50 years ago. But it seems to me that the vagus nerve and the parasympathetic nervous system, it doesn't get the... Joe, the who what? Well, Dr. Stats is going to tell us what we're talking about. Why, why haven't we paid enough attention to this nerve and this what we call the parasympathetic nervous system? Well, this parasympathetic nervous system is incredibly important in our health and well-being. And you're right, it's really not gotten the respect that it deserves. I call it the Rodney Dangerfield of nerves because people just don't give it the respect. But it turns out this is really, really important and crosses multiple disciplines. In society today, we tend to be much, very much splitters of you go see the cardiologist for one problem and the a psychiatrist for another problem. But it turns out that the vagus nerve does cross all these disciplines. And it's really important that right now we pay some attention to it. Well, I would like to know what is the vagus nerve? Can you tell us? Sure. So your body has, let's start a very large, you know, uh, pulling way back. Your body is an electrochemical organ. I know that we spend a lot of time in the people's pharmacy talking about the chemical side of things, but the electrical side of things is incredibly important. And I break that down, or people break that down into different parts of the nervous system. There's the ones that we all think about, your spinal cord connected to major motor nerves that allow you to sense or feel or walk. But there's also what's called the parasympathetic nervous system, or I I should just say the autonomic nervous system which is broken down into two parts, which is the sympathetic nervous system, and then again, the parasympathetic nervous system. That autonomic nervous system is what we call the fight or flight nerves. One is to get us excited, and the other one is to calm us down. The parasympathetic nervous system, of which the vagus nerve is really the major component of it, is that part that we think about of just calm down does so much more. Well, let's start with anatomy because the vagus nerve is so important throughout the body. Can you just give us a quick overview? Sure. The vagus nerve is also called the wandering nerve. It's the 10th cranial nerve. It has both motor and sensory components to it. There's about 100,000 fibers that run through the neck provide information to the brain and to the organ systems about normal homeostasis or normal function. There are, uh, uh, it starts up in a part of the brain called the medulla oblongata. It leaves the brain through what's called the jugular foramen. It's a small area of the brain. There are two various sensory ganglia on the vagus nerve called the superior and inferior ganglion. And it travels down the neck uh, to go to the uh, major structures in the body. And it breaks up into different pieces, but I don't think your audience really cares too much about the various pieces. But it's important to note that it does go down and supply the lung. It supplies the heart. It supplies the liver. It supplies the pancreas. It supplies the spleen, which is really, really important. We don't really think about that. And the colon, and as well as sexual organs as well. So when we start to think about disease 
And while I say the vagus nerve could be important across multiple different disorders, it's because the vagus nerve is so important across multiple different organ systems. Well, it sounds as though the vagus nerve is kind of connecting us all together. And maybe even, yeah, collecting information from all these different well, organ well, systems and telling the brain what's going on. You call it the command and control center. Why? Well, I, I typically refer to the, this as the command and control center for inflammation. And again, I think our audience understands inflammation and how important it is. But we don't typically think about, well, what controls inflammation? And interestingly, that is the vagus nerve. And there are a variety of different pathways with which it does this. Uh, one of the main uh, pathways is called the cholinergic anti-inflammatory pathway. And it is a pathway which, by which the vagus nerve goes to different organ systems, including the inflammatory cells that are located in the spleen and can control or tamp down a profound inflammatory response. And we actually showed that in COVID, acute COVID patients, that we could tamp down inflammation that was killing people by stimulating the vagus nerve. Can you tell us more about that, please? Well, sure. You know, when um, uh, I, I should actually probably step back a you know, a couple of decades as I, uh, I have a son who has peanut allergies and I've been a longtime neuromodulator, someone who thinks about use of electricity to control disease and went to the lab with my friends uh, from Columbia University, uh, people I had worked with me at Hopkins previously. Uh, and we actually figured out how the vagus nerve can control bronchoconstriction or the ability to, uh, tamp down on the lungs when people have a real profound inflammatory reaction. And we actually set that aside for an interesting reason that I can come back to. But when COVID hit, I knew two things. I knew that the vagus nerve was controlling the inflammation that was going in the lungs uh, or throughout the body. And it also controlled the ability of the lungs to, to bronchodilate or to, to breathe more freely. And what did we see in COVID early on? we saw that patients were dying from uh, inability to ventilate, inability to breathe, as well as what they called the cytokine storm. And we proposed a paper back in early 2020 uh, suggesting why vagus nerve stimulation should be an important therapy. And uh, later, uh, some friends of mine and from Spain and, and I published a paper on how we could block the inflammatory response associated with the acute COVID reaction in a hospitalized patients in Spain. So it's, a, it's an interesting thing that most of medicine doesn't know about, but it's out there in the literature. If you, you search Tornero and COVID and Vegas, it's one of the first things that pops up about how important this is to block the inflammatory response. Well, I, I think, Dr. Statz, that most people they, they're aware of the sympathetic nervous system because that's when the police car turns on its blue light because you were going 15 miles an hour over the speed limit and you can feel your heart beating very fast and your hand is shaking a little bit because oh boy now I'm going to get a ticket and and so that's that's the sympathetic nervous system the parasympathetic nervous system and the vagus nerve are the calming side of that 
equation. And so when you're meditating, when you're lying in the hot tub, when you're feeling completely relaxed, now your vagus nerve in the the parasympathetic nervous system has taken over. Can you describe the yin and yang of these two nervous systems, please? I love how you put that. And it is truly the yin and the yang. Part of us keeps us out of danger, so to speak. So if we think teleologically, you know, 10,000 years ago, we needed to run away from a bear very infrequently. Most of the time we were calm, we were relaxed, and we had these very few episodes of a fight or flight. In today's world, I think it's actually quite different. I think we're always running. We're always got something on our mind. We're worried about our boss's review of us. We're worried about that police officer pulling us over because we were speeding. We're worried about something. We're worried about paying our bills. And we're in this sympathetic overdrive. Even though bears are few. (laughs) Even though bears are few. And it's important that you have that ability to run away very quickly when you see those few bears. But we need to spend more time in today's world thinking about the calming aspect of things, what takes us down to homeostasis to uh, allow our organ systems to work most effectively. Our sympathetic system, frankly, shunts the blood away, shunts the energy away from our visceral structures because you have to have all of the energy going to your muscles to run away from that bear. But the parasympathetic system is really important to have all of your organ systems optimally functioning. And that's one of the aspects of why I think vagus nerve stimulation can be so important in overall health uh, and well-being and as well as in treating disease. You're listening to Dr. Peter Statz, Chief Medical Officer of National Spine and Pain Centers. He's a leader in vagal nerve stimulation. Dr. Statz founded the Division of Pain Medicine at Johns Hopkins University, where he was the director for 10 years. He's a past president of the North American Neuromodulation Society. After the break, we'll learn more about medical treatments utilizing vagus nerve stimulation. What can non-invasive vagus nerve stimulation do for chronic pain? What exactly is non-invasive nerve stimulation? Dr. Statz has used this treatment for people with chronic headaches. Find out what it may be able to do for stroke treatment, digestive disorders, or PTSD. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible by Cocovia, backed by 20 years of scientific research. It's the maker of the most proven and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today, Coco Pro Cocoa Extract. Cocoa flavanols are among the most studied plant-based bioactives today and are clinically proven to promote cardiovascular and brain health for the long term, supporting a strong heart and better memory. Get 15% off your order of any Cocovia product by using the discount code PPOD15. Learn more at Cocovia.com. That code again, PPOD15. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. (music) 
Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Cardio Health is offered in both convenient capsule and powder formats, with each serving containing 500 milligrams of cocoflavanols to support heart health. More information available at cocovia.com. The People's Pharmacy is also supported by Gaia Herbs. Focused on purity, potency, and transparency through its Meet Your Herbs platform, tracing the origin and DNA of each product, connecting people, plants, and planet to create healing. More information at Gaia, G-A-I-A, herbs.com. Today, we're talking about the parasympathetic nervous system. In particular, we're focusing on the vagus nerve. You've heard of fight or flight, but the vagus nerve's activity could be summed up as rest and digest. How does it impact pain management? We are talking with Dr. Peter Statz. He is Chief Medical Officer of National Spine and Pain Centers. He's a leader in vagal nerve stimulation. Dr. Statz founded the Division of Pain Medicine at Johns Hopkins University, where he was the director for 10 years. He is past president of the North American Neuromodulation Society. Dr. Statz, you have actually pioneered the use of vagus nerve stimulation for medical treatments. And in particular, you have suggested that it can be helpful in treating chronic pain. Would you tell us more about that, please? Well, sure. You know, Vagus nerve stimulation has been around for uh, a number of years. Um, the first FDA clearance or approval for a medical device on the vagus nerve was back in 1997, where it was used for the treatment of epilepsy. And a few years later, with this implanted device that was used for epilepsy, it was noted that patients' migraines improved. And I'm just going to footnote that because I didn't actually know about that in 2002 when the, these few papers were written. I started working on non-invasive vagus nerve stimulation back in 2004. As I whoa, mentioned, whoa, whoa, I was whoa. looking for- What does that mean, non-invasive? So one of the limits of an implanted device is that it is, in fact, surgery. And surgery has the risks of, you know, cutting somebody open, working right next to the carotid artery, operating on nerves. Um, and there are, unfortunately, risks that occur with surgery. And I am somebody who's implanted many, many medical devices over my careers. And I've thought about with my some of my co-founders of Electricore, a small company um, out of uh, New Jersey, um, about trying to make... Um, access to the power of the vagus nerve uh, without having to have surgery. At, back in 2004, people said that was not possible. But we developed a technique by which you can stimulate the vagus nerve with a certain set of frequencies uh, through the skin in the neck to access the vagus nerve. And we can do this now without surgery, without the risk of surgery, without the costs of a, you know, a, uh, an implanted device, which can be you know, very, very expensive. And that has now moved the use and the applicability of vagus nerve stimulation 
to a much broader swath of the population. You don't have to go through surgery to get your vagus nerve stimulated. You can actually just get one of these devices, place it on the neck, and stimulate the vagus nerve without having to do surgery. So it stimulates through the skin then? Yeah, exactly. Okay. It stimulates through the skin. So it's, uh, I call it non-invasive vagus nerve stimulation. Other people will call it transcutaneous vagus nerve stimulation. But the one key advantage is that we don't need to stimulate all the time, and we can do this intermittently and get a very profound effect on the vagus. And what is the result? Well, boy, this is one of the areas that's been extraordinarily interesting to a lot of people. We started with this in airway reactivity, and as we were studying patients with asthma, we saw that patients' uh, headaches went away. And that was kind of like a very interesting thing. We had to go back and find that other people had already seen that with an implanted device. But we now had a device that someone with uh, migraines or cluster headaches could actually use on their own, much like a pill, you know, you take it when you need it uh, type of thing or take it prophylactically to treat their headaches. And over the years, we've done numerous studies with well over a thousand patients in clinical trials looking at prevention of cluster headache, acute treatment of episodic cluster, acute treatment of migraine, prevention of migraine headaches, treatment of paroxysmal hemicrania. These are very painful disorders treatment of um, uh, hemicrania continuum, adolescent migraine, all now approved by the FDA over the last number of years for uh, because we have real good studies now demonstrating that this is a therapy that works for severe headache disorders. What else can it do? Boy, that's where it's, where it's become interesting. Physicians and clinicians have come out through the woodwork to really try to understand where the vagus nerve can help their patient populations. There, I just did a search the other day and there were 16.9 million hits in Google for vagus uh, or vagus nerve stimulation. There are increasing numbers of publications with 35,000 publications in PubMed. And we've partnered with physicians from Harvard and uh, Emory University and UC San Diego and really up and down the coast looking at a variety of different uh, medical disorders from, I'll say, post-traumatic stress disorder, where we have a breakthrough designation from the FDA. We are looking at primary headache disorders. We've been looking at acute treatment of stroke, uh, interestingly. Uh, it's one of the therapies that I think looks very promising to decrease the size of an evolving stroke. Uh, gastrointestinal disorders, as you might uh, predict, are are uh, looking very promising. So we have a lots of different studies going on, and and I actually have a slide in one of my presentations that lists about thirty different disorders that people are studying. And and I always have to pause when I say I've got so many different things going on. It sounds like I'm a snake oil salesman, but the truth is, the vagus nerve, as you said in your in your uh, be, the beginning. Uh, is affects a lot of different organ systems. And people who are expert in those disorders are coming forth and saying, hey, can we study it in lungs? Can we study it in, in inflammation? What, what else can we study it? Dr. Statz, if we think that perhaps we're, we're under too much stress and perhaps we need to encourage our vagus nerve to take a more active role, 
How would we do that? Is there are there lifestyle approaches? Is there dietary approaches? Are there things we can do in addition to or different from uh, your non-invasive vagus nerve stimulating device? Yeah, so uh, there there are a lot of things that we think about in life. And Dr. Graydon mentioned this a moment ago when we were talking about I heard biofeedback, but I think he said meditation and other types of aspects. And for a long time, we've known that we can control our our body's um, organs through mind over matter. We've not really known how that works. And there are a lot of tried and true things that do seem to improve your vagal tone, good exercise, don't drink too much meditation, biofeedback. These are a variety of things that will improve activation of your vagus. I th- Deep breathing would be another one that would fit in there. And those are all important things that should be part of everybody's, everybody's everyday life. What we've done is we figured out a biohack, so to speak, by going in and accessing the vagus nerve non-invasively. But that should not discount the importance of you know, a healthy anti-inflammatory diet, low in alcohol, mindful meditation, those types of strategies are all really, really important in health. I'm wondering about Buddhist monks who meditate and who have learned how to, through that process, impact many of their body organs. I mean, I don't think they set out to do that, but the end result is that they're heart rate slows, their breathing slows. And I'm just wondering the role of meditation and its impact on the vagus nerve and the parasympathetic nervous system and whether or not modern medicine is studying it. Well, I, uh, you know, I know uh, that there are books on this written by the Dalai Lama, <laughs> of all people, on the impact of meditation on health and uh, looking at complex disorders, I mean, complex um, relationships such as functional medical, uh, fMRI of brain function, et cetera. And I think you picked out a really nice example. One that I've used frequently is um, when people say, well, why do I need to stimulate the vagus nerve non-invasively with external device? Couldn't I just do this by meditation? And my answer is, Maybe if you're a Tibetan monk, because these people have trained to access their vagus nerve, maybe even not knowing that, but they've trained to access their vagus nerve for literally decades. And I don't know if I would actually add anything by stimulating the vagus nerve in someone who's a real expert in this. Our device is somewhat short-circuiting 20 years of training as a Tibetan monk, I think, in trying to access the vagus nerve to help improve health and wellness. But I'm a big fan of what they're doing. And I do think that when it comes right down to it, we're doing the same thing. One might just be a more effective strategy for doing it. Dr. Statz, we'd love to hear about uh, someone who has used your device to overcome a medical problem. Is there someone who stands out? Can you tell us that story? Well, absolutely. I um, actually have to call him, but there are a number of people. Now, the device, uh, our device has been used tens of thousands of times across the globe. Uh, but one person stands out in particular that uh, I thought about when 
I was trying to improve access to care for our veterans, uh, I brought a veteran with me to make a presentation to Congress. And he tells a wonderful story that I think he should tell, but uh, um, about how debilitated he was from chronic headaches. And he was able to get back to functioning, back to life again by using a non-drug, a non-opioid strategy to manage his problems and really turn his life back around. So there are, there are a number of people out there. Um, I obviously can't tell you names and, and whatnot, but there are people who have used it to improve anxiety disorders with post-traumatic stress disorder. There are people who have used, and this would of course be off-label use. There are people using it in the UK for gastrointestinal disorders where it is, it is actually has a CE mark for that. People have been using it for long COVID different uh, problems be on label for their migraines, but people are using it for a variety of different symptoms. And it's my understanding that they're actually studying this at the Mayo Clinic right now to see the role of this device in multiple different symptoms within long COVID. Dr. Stats, I'd like to flip the switch on vagus stimulation. We've talked about electrical stimulation. We've talked about various ways that we can stimulate the, the vagus, perhaps through meditation or relaxation. But what about pharmacological anticholinergic drugs? And, and what I mean by that is there are a whole bunch of medications, some which are really obvious, some which are less so, that have the opposite effect on the cholinergic nervous system. And I'm thinking about drugs like atropine and scopolamine, which are prescribed for motion sickness, but many, many other drugs also uh, sort of tone down that parasympathetic nervous system or have what we call anticholinergic activity. There is now a growing concern that such drugs may affect the brain in a negative way. Any thoughts about that? Well, actually, I, I, I don't, I can't really comment so much on the drug side of things because drugs have so many off-target effects. But I can tell you that I am actually quite optimistic about using vagus nerve stimulation, broadly speaking, to enhance cognition and brain function. The way that this works is that the vagus nerve has projections up into various areas of the brain, including the locus ceruleus, uh, nucleus tractus solitarius, where, uh, and then other structures in the brain where, uh, that are proacetylcholine that allow for remodeling of the brain. And why is that important? Um, first, that would allow for neuroplasticity to occur. So after trauma, after damage to a brain, to brain function, it's potential that we could um, improve function. And the acetylcholine is part of the pathway and it's part of the story. But the other part of the story is the inflammation part of the story that we started our conversation with earlier in your session. And inflammation is really quite damaging in the brain. So think about patients with traumatic brain injuries or patients who have had an acute stroke or people who have had a chronic stroke. There's actually a device out there that's approved for 
patients for post-stroke recovery to allow the brain to start to function better with vagus nerve stimulation. That's an implanted device. It's not anything that I have deep knowledge about, but they're using it to improve function. And in fact, the United States Air Force is now doing research and using the device to enhance uh, function of our super soldiers uh, to uh, improve fatigue, decrease error rates, and improve their overall ability to uh, respond to stress type of activities. So, so I actually think that the vagus nerve stimulation with electricity, and, and I would assume if we are targeted in our drugs, it would fall similarly, actually has a very positive effect on brain function. There's actually work going on, and I mentioned PTSD, but there's work going on in Parkinson's disease. And in the Parkinson's population, they've showed a decrease in TNF-alpha, which is a pro-inflammatory cytokine, and an improvement in BDNF, which is a neurotrophic factor required for brain function. So there are a lot of really positive effects that we're seeing with vagus nerve stimulation on brain function long-term. The holy grail will be when we get around to doing the work that needs to be done on Alzheimer's disease. But I, I suspect there are, there are possibilities there based on early animal work that is suggestive of that. Dr. Peter Statz. Thank you so much for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today. Truly an honor to be with you guys. Thank you again. You've been listening to Dr. Peter Statz. He's recognized for his work on inventing, developing, and implementing minimally invasive procedures for pain and neuromodulation. He's currently Chief Medical Officer of National Spine and Pain Centers. Dr. Statz is one of the founders of ElectroCore, which was instrumental in getting vagal nerve stimulation approved for emergency use for acute COVID-19. Dr. Statz was founder of the Division of Pain Medicine at Johns Hopkins University, where he was the director for 10 years. After the break, we'll talk with another expert, Dr. Stephen Porges, about the parasympathetic nervous system. Why is it so important for our health? And what's the role of the vagus nerve? Why do breathing exercises enhance the parasympathetic nervous system and help calm us down? Is fast talking and hyperstimulation sometimes counterproductive? We'll learn how we can calm down and balance the nervous system better. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A-Herbs.com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. 
Cocovia Memory Plus is formulated with 750 milligrams of cocoflavanols, a level clinically proven to improve three different types of memory and support brain function. More information available at cocovia.com. And by Gaia Herbs. Their formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial. More information at Gaia, G-A-I-A, herbs.com. Today, we're exploring the world of neuropharmacology. In particular, we're focusing on the vagus nerve and the parasympathetic nervous system. We turn now to Dr. Stephen Porges. He is Distinguished University Scientist at Indiana University, where he's the founding director of the Traumatic Stress Research Consortium and a professor of psychiatry at the University of North Carolina. Dr. Porges is the originator of the polyvagal theory, a theory that emphasizes the importance of physiological state in the expression of behavioral, mental, and health problems related to traumatic experiences. His most recent book is Polyvagal Safety, Attachment, Communication, Self-Regulation. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Steve Porges. Thank you for inviting me. Dr. Porges, we have talked a lot over the years about the sympathetic nervous system. I, I like to refer to it as the saber-toothed tiger, the blue light of the police car right behind us, what we call the fight-or-flight syndrome. And I think all of those are a much better description than the sympathetic nervous system, which I think only a physiologist or a pharmacologist could love. Right. Absolutely true, dear. But I guess we'd like to focus today on the parasympathetic nervous system. Can, can you tell us what that is and a little bit about the polyvagal theory? Well, Certainly. But first of all, I want to also mention the sympathetic nervous system is not only fight flight, it's also part of our excitement and exuberance system. So we don't want to give it such a bad name. The uh, parasympathetic nervous system is functionally the difference or the antagonist to the sympathetic. It's, I learned it when I started to learn about the neuroanatomy and neurophysiology as a system that supported homeostasis, health, growth, and restoration. In a sense, our calming system. But what we've learned is actually there's a, let's use this term, a dark secret. There's part of the parasympathetic nervous system that also does respond in defense, and that creates a level of confusion. Can you tell us more about that so we can be unconfused? Well, it just may lead to greater confusion. The issue is we tend to think of the parasympathetic as our system that offsets or downregulates our sympathetic or fight-flight in defense. But what happens is that we actually have another parasympathetic defense system which shuts us down. It results in fainting. It results in defecation. It's really a system of conservation. And we see this in like a mouse in the jaws of a cat when it goes limp or literally is passing out. That's not a sympathetic response. That is also a parasympathetic. And that is where the question about the polyvagal theory came in. How can the vagus, which is the major nerve in a parasympathetic nervous system, be both calming and health-related and also potentially lethal? Now, 
we hope that you'll be able to tell us. You've mentioned the vagus nerve. What is it? Why is it so important? The vagus nerve exits our brain stem, the back of our head, and goes to virtually every major organ inside our body. And there's an emphasis on the vagus as a motor nerve, which is really sending signals to all these organs. But that, in a way, is also a misunderstanding because 80% of that nerve is really monitoring our organs and sending information to our brain. And we need to reconceptualize the vagus as a bidirectional superhighway between the brain and the body, a conduit, and not just a single fiber. So for people who don't completely understand how our brains and nervous system are wired, I think what you're saying is that this really crucial, huge nerve that is like a superhighway from our brain to our toes, not only is innervating, that is to say, attaching to all of our organs and sending messages to those organs, but it's also receiving messages and sending them back up to the brain. Is that a fair description? Absolutely. In fact, we could literally say it's this major surveillance system of our bodily organs. Now, we understand that sometimes the vagus system goes awry. Oh, what happens to harm it and what are the consequences? Well, we, we have to think of it not necessarily going awry, but actually responding to threat or cues of threat, uh, whether it's a pathogen or a psychological threat. The vagus and its powerful inhibitory role of calming us down basically becomes dormant. It stops working. And that has a functional adaptive output. And that is it, it makes our ability to fight or flee, our mobilization system, makes it more efficient. So taking off the vagus is not necessarily bad or stopping the vagal function if it's transitory. If it's transitory, it facilitates mobilization, fight, flight, and all these powerful, energetically costly uh, systems. But if it's uh, chronic, then the feedback loop between this of this bidirectional system is no longer monitoring our organs, and we start developing uh, disorders uh, in various organs. Well, I think about the way in which we live our lives today, which is very different from our ancestors going back 100 or 200 years. Today, we are getting constant stimuli. I mean, we've got our cell phones, we've got our electronic devices, we've got our computer systems, we've got alerts coming at us left, right, and in between. Uh, we've got lights on all of the time. There's just so much going on in our lives that are sort of activating us, uh, alerting us, stimulating our sympathetic nervous system. And it seems like we have kind of disregarded our parasympathetic nervous system and our vagus nerve. I mean, you know, the idea of taking a walk, turning off all of our electronic inputs, it, it, it seems an anathema to our teenagers to our young kids who are just so connected and wired in. Can, can you tell us how we can better strengthen our parasympathetic nervous system, namely our vagus nerve, instead of our sympathetic nervous system that seems to be on alert 24-7? Well, 
you start you start to give some very powerful advice, and that is we live in a world that in which we are hyper vigilant. We're always looking for cues, and those cues are really cues of alerting, cues of danger, cues that require immediate responses, and they're going to literally optimize the sympathetic nervous system. That's in its sense, in itself, it's not necessarily bad if it's for short periods of time. Then the vagus and the parasympathetic nervous system can naturally rebound to support health growth and restoration. I use the term neural exercises to basically talk about ways of recruiting the vagus as a calming tool that we have. And one of the most powerful ones is something as simple as slow exhalation. When we exhale slowly, the vagus does its job. And when we inhale and hold it, uh, or let's say focus on inhalation and not on exhalation, we are literally turning the vagus off. So our heart rates get faster and the vagal control or calming is greatly attenuated. So the way a person breathes really is manipulating their vagus for the task at hand. So deep breathing or breathing exercises would be a good first step. Breathing exercises are a wonderful first step because even though the autonomic nervous system, by definition, is automatic, we can enter that automatic world and kind of override it with breathing. And breathing is this wonderful portal of basically turning on and off the vagus. And what you basically said, long, slow, deep exhalations are powerful methods of re-engaging the vagus. I find that um, breathing slowly, especially with an emphasis on the exhalation, is a good way to calm down. The other, absolutely, but you, the two of you being on radio shows, you know that as you extend the duration of your phrases, you yourselves become calmer and the audience picks up the, the, the accessibility of those common cues because the intonation of your voice changes when that vagal activity is increased basically becomes more melodic, more welcoming. But sometimes I have been known to watch cable television and I see the host going very fast and they're talking so quickly and they're talking to the guest and they're trying to get the guest all excited. And, you know, it's like, wow, that's just the opposite. It is. And how do you feel watching that? I get excited too. <laughs> yeah. Well, the question is excitement is also can be bi-directional. You can have pleasant excitement and you can have very negative excitement. Cable news tends to be biased. You tend to get upset, excited. Dr. Porges, when I think about trying to calm our bodies down and our brain activity, I think of things beyond breathing, although that's really critical, but I think about, you know, the Zen Buddhist meditation, and I think about just being quiet for a while, turning off all of those electronic devices and all the input and all the output. What are some of the other strategies that we can use to, to enhance our vagus nerve and our parasympathetic nervous system in a positive way. So let's go back to an infant. If an infant is hyper-aroused or irritable, what does the caring parent do? They try to calm the baby down. How? Usually you pick it up and you rock it, you pat it ah. on its back. Yeah. No? So the, 
Yes, well, the rocking is the word I wanted because what the rocking is doing is it's basically stimulating blood pressure receptors, especially if you do head-to-toe rocking, holding the child on your chest and rocking back and forth. That is actually a vagal nerve stimulator. So what you're doing is stimulating vagal activity through posture shifts. How does an adult do that? Some adults rock. And I will tell you what I do, but, you know, we talk about uh, stereotypical behaviors, like with individuals who may be autistic, they will rock as a mechanism to calm their physiology. I use an, uh, I use a tilt table. So I have a tilt table in my basement, and I basically exercise my bowel receptors every morning by doing inversions and uh, tilting, basically going back and forth, like, uh, it's 70 degree tilt. It's, it's not a full 90 degree, but it does uh, stimulate the baroreceptors. Well, what are baroreceptors and why are they so important? They, okay, one of the primary mechanisms of staying alert or conscious is to have sufficient oxygenated blood in our brain. And that is regulated through the baroreceptors through blood pressure to push the blood up to the brain. And if you shift your posture, you have to shift the uh, pressure of what the blood is being shunted to your brain. And that's done through this mechanism of baroreceptors. So for our listeners who want to learn how to better balance their nervous system, uh, how to calm themselves down, how to enhance that vagus nerve and that parasympathetic nervous system, besides having a tilt table, what are some other strategies that might be beneficial? Singing, uh, group activities where you're looking and coordinating your behavior with others. Team sports is a powerful neural exercise. Movement with others like dance. Play. This is part of really, I would say, the tragedy of modern education is that play has been literally taken out of the curriculum. And the issue is that when we play, it tends to be reciprocal, moving back and forth, reading other people's cues, that requires neuroregulation of our autonomic nervous system. And that's a powerful exercise. So we started off by talking about breathing. Uh, Singing is another one. And that's more than just breathing. Breathing is involved, but now laryngeal and pharyngeal. My go-to when I was, before I had theory, was actually I was a clarinetist when I was an adolescent, a young adult. And playing the clarinet is uh, controlling breath, but it's also manipulating those muscles of the face that are linked in the brainstem to the area that regulates the vagus, including listening. We have little muscles in our middle ear, and they influence and are being influenced by our physiological state. So that when we are in states of threat or anxiety, we have difficulty extracting human voice because our nervous system has retuned the tension of the nuclear structures to detect low-frequency sounds of predator. So we're great at detecting predator, but not at understanding what the teacher's telling us. In the minute we have left, Dr. Porges, what would you recommend for our listeners to get things back in balance? I think we need to reconceptualize illness. And this is a strange thing to say because illness has been symptom 
driven and diagnostic uh, driven or diagnosis driven. We need to have a better understanding of a living system. We are a living system. And it used to be viewed as a fuzzy construct to talk about systems. And I think we have the mathematics now. We have the technology to start measuring this. And I think we need to stop siloing illness. So when people have, in a sense, uh, when their bodies are retuned to be under chronic threat, they end up seeing multiple specialists and are given labels such as functional disorders, uh, functional neurological, functional gastroenterology disorders, functional disorders in which they cannot label the disease by looking at biopsies or other assessments. And these the patients tend to feel marginalized because they have problems, yet they can't get a treatment model. And they are often referred for psychological and mental health counseling or mental health treatment because they're being told it's in their head. And the issue is it's not in their head, it's in their body. Dr. Steve Porges, thank you so much for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Dr. Stephen Porges. He's Distinguished University Scientist at Indiana University, where he's the founding director of the Traumatic Stress Research Consortium and a professor of psychiatry at the University of North Carolina. His most recent book is Polyvagal Safety, Attachment, Communication, Self-Regulation. He co-authored a forthcoming book with his son, Our Polyvagal World, How Safety and Trauma Change Us. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Al Wadarski engineered. Dave Graydon edits our interviews. B.J. Lederman composed our theme music. This show is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. Their formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial, connecting people, plants, and planet to create healing. More information at GaiaHerbs.com. And by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Memory and Focus is a unique formula made with a special blend of ingredients that work together to promote attention and support long-term memory. It supports five areas of brain performance in one capsule. More information at Cocovia.com. Today's show is number 1,339. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. That's where you can share your comments. Our interviews are available through your favorite podcast provider. You'll find the show on our website on Monday morning. At peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter to get the latest news about important health stories. By subscribing to our newsletter, you'll also have regular access to our weekly podcast and find out ahead of time which topics we'll be covering. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do, 
and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.